Chapter 7 of The Barnabys in America by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Emotions of the party in landing at New Orleans, their reception at Mrs. Carmichael's boarding house, peculiar confirmation of that lady, the party installs themselves, the dawn proves useful. We will not a second time follow the O'Donagough, henceforth the Barnaby family, step by step, or rather not by not, across the Atlantic. After a safe and not particularly long passage, they arrived at the Belize, and being placed under the towage of a steamboat, began to make their way up the lordly but gloomy-tempered Mississippi. "'Thank God!' exclaimed Major Allen Barnaby, for it was thus he now commanded himself to be constantly designated. "'Thank God!' he exclaimed as he sprung on shore to the handsome quay of New Orleans. "'We have had a devilish fine passage, but I'm not sorry it's over.' "'We are none of us sorry it's over, I dare say,' replied his portly lady as soon as she had recovered her balance upon first finding both her feet once more on terra firma. "'We are the very luckiest creatures upon earth, that's certain, Major. How the sun shines, don't it?' The facility with which it was probable Mrs. Barnaby would fall again into her old habit of calling her husband Major had in truth been one reason why her John William Patrick Allen O'Donagough Barnaby had chosen to assume that title in preference to every other, and the scheme answered completely, for so naturally did she resume this appellation, endeared to her doubtless by the remembrance of the early days of her love, that from that time forward she was never known to blunder when addressing him, excepting that now and then at the name of Allen, which he had slipped in before that of Barnaby, as if to identify himself, she would come to a full stop. "'And now, Captain,' said the restored Major, "'can you lend us a lad just to take these few light articles that the custom-house gentlemen have done with, and show us the way to the boarding-house you were talking about?' "'Caesar, cabin-boy, shall go along with ye?' replied the captain. "'Only I'm thinking that Madame Carmichael will hardly, it may be, have place enough to put you all up, and without notice given too. But for all that, you had best go to her and say I sent you. She'll be able, I expect, to get some of ye lodged out of the house if there is not room in it.' The whole party amounting, as we know, to half a dozen, were by this time collected in a knot and ready to start. On the whole, perhaps, they did not present a very elegant coup d'oeil, but it is rarely that any ladies appear to advantage on arriving from a voyage. Yet they had all, save the poor, worn-out Miss Louisa, done the best they could towards restoring their appearance. Mrs. Barnaby had liberally refreshed her rouge and put on a clean collar, but her front was sadly out of repair, being in fact entirely worn out, and permitting her copious locks of dappled grey to peep forth in various places from amidst the scanty sable with which it was her object to conceal them. Madame Tornorino, however, certainly looked a great deal handsomer than she ever did before in the whole course of her life, for she was almost pale and considerably thinner than before her voyage. But her costume was anything but in good repair, and she had not, like her mamma, thought it necessary to put on a clean collar. The hopeful, ardent-minded Matilda was unhappily thinner than ever, and so pale that as she turned her eyes from her own cheeks as shown to her one at a time in the useful little glass set at the back of her hairbrush, as she turned her eyes from those pale cheeks to the glowing bloom on those of Mrs. Barnaby, she suddenly and secretly came to the resolution that for the future she would herself, in a moderate way, take advantage of the aid which nature, with her usual provident kindness, has prepared for the fading carnations of females of delicate constitution. For the present, however, this was out of her power, as Mrs. Barnaby's rouge was always locked up, 
but she thought that, at the present moment, she should lose little by the pallid delicacy, which, in consideration of her long voyage, could not but be interesting. She therefore gave all the care that circumstances would permit to other decorations. For how was it possible she could tell who she might see? Not only did she put on a clean collar, but a clean cap, too, yet she suffered her hair to fall somewhat too languidly on each side of her face, for it was a little out of curl. But, oh, how she pitied poor dear Mrs. Barnaby for having all her beautiful hair turning grey, and how heartily she thanked heaven in her heart of hearts that not even her sister Louisa had a grey hair, which plainly showed it was not in the family, and gave her the most charming hope for her own future. So her gauze cap, with its pale pink bows, was set very far back on her head, and the bonnet, which was lightly placed upon it, had quite the air of a chapeau de jolie femme. The two gentlemen also had somewhat refreshed their toilettes, in compliment to the character given of Mrs. Carmichael by her friend the captain, which was that she was as first-rate a lady as any in the place, and unaccountable smart to be sure. With a light truck to convey such baggage as they were permitted to take from the ship, before the custom-house had done its duty, the young negro Caesar moved on before them, and the party followed under a broiling sun to the boarding-house. Excepting Don Tornarino, who luxuriated in the warmth like a hummingbird, the whole set felt ready to lie down and expire before they had traversed half the distance they had to go. But as the major strode resolutely on without flinching, the four ladies felt that they must stride resolutely on too, and they did so with a degree of enduring patience that did them honor. Fortunately, on arriving at the house of Mrs. Carmichael, they were desired to walk into the keeping-room. Had they been turned from the door, the most of them felt quite certain that they should not have lived to reach another. It is almost worth while, however, to endure the fervid heat of a southern climate for the sake of enjoying the delicious devices by which the ingenuity of that very clever creature man contrives to quench its terrors and turn its very torment into luxury. The apartment into which Mrs. Carmichael's negro footman showed the panting Europeans was a room of some forty feet long by twenty wide and lofty in proportion. The expansive floor was covered by cool-looking matting, and round the walls were ranged a variety of sofas formed for lounging in every possible attitude of Louisianian indolence. Four ample windows opened like folding doors upon a balcony, rendered almost impervious to the light by being on all sides surrounded by Venetian blinds and on a table within the room stood one or two enormous decanters of water, with lumps of ice floating in them, tumblers of all sizes, about a dozen lemons, and abundance of sugar, while under the table stood a basket-covered flask of whiskey of a goodly size. A dozen or two of light-caned bottom chairs were scattered about the room, lying upon many of which, as well as upon the tables and sofas, were a multitude of large feather fans the profusions of which might have struck the strangers as a whimsical peculiarity had not their obvious utility been so very strongly felt. "'My goodness gracious, what a heavenly place!' cried Patty, instantly taking possession of a sofa, throwing herself at full length upon it and seizing upon the largest fan within her reach. "'By your leave, ladies,' she added, taking off her bonnet and tossing it upon the ground. "'Married women, you know, are always permitted to take liberties.' "'What a blessing, to be sure, to come into a room like this after such a walk,' said Mrs. Barnaby, carefully wiping her face, so as to remove as little of her rouge by the operation as possible. "'I hope to goodness, Major, we aren't to stay in this horrid climate long. However, as long as we do stay, we can't do better off than here, so you must loosen your purse-strings, if you please, if it should prove that the elegant lady the captain told us of happens to be rather uppish in her prices.' 
"'We'll see about that, my dear,' replied her husband. "'It will be a great object, to be sure, to get into a place where one can breathe. "'But money is money, remember, in America as well as in England.' "'Il rappelle,' said the delighted Spaniard, "'the soft atmosphere of Madrid.' "'I am sure they must be a most delightful people,' cried Matilda, "'who, though not a married woman, had ventured to follow the example of Patty, "'and was both lying down and fanning herself without ceremony.' "'How irresistibly,' said she, "'all this seems to suggest ideas of. "'In short, I am certain it must be a most domestic country "'from the evident care taken to make home agreeable.' "'As usual, poor Louisa spoke not. "'Indeed, she had hardly done so since she had left her native land, "'but gently, unobtrusively, and apart, she groaned. "'And now a sound was heard as of the approach of slippers too large for the wearer's feet, "'and kept on by dint of shoving them onwards at each step, "'without venturing to raise them from the ground, "'and then the voice of hard and difficult breathing was perceptible, "'and then the door of entrance was darkened from side to side "'as if a feather bed, exactly not too large to be pushed through it, "'was being thrust into the room. "'Of course the twelve eyes of the newcomers were all turned "'towards the object thus appearing before them.' and notwithstanding the obscurity of the apartment they one and all very soon became convinced that huge and shapeless as was the approaching mass it was nevertheless a human being and moreover a woman smart murmured patty in a voice not quite audible to the panting dame what could that fool of a captain mean and certainly in patty's acceptation of the word his application of it might seem strange enough the person of Mrs. Carmichael, the dimensions of which were, seen in whatever direction she could be placed, very nearly six feet by four, was not only enormous in size, but so astonishingly out of all ordinary shape as to make it no easy matter to clothe it at all. It is not very surprising, therefore, considering the prodigious bulk of every limb, whereby every movement became a labor, that Mrs. Carmichael should get into her clothes with as little labor and pains as possible. And then the heat! Poor Mrs. Carmichael suffered dreadfully from the heat, and certainly cared greatly less how her draperies looked in the eyes of others than how they felt to herself. So her enormous white calico gown, with its colossal hanging sleeves, was fastened so loosely in the front by one single pin as to create perpetual alarm in the bystanders as to the stability of the investiture by which this very important portion of her covering was attached. There was indeed what might have been about a yard square of pink gauze loosely tucked in around the bust, but even this depended for its adhesion to the same aforesaid pin, and without it must have floated away into air still thinner than itself. Notwithstanding the immensity of Mrs. Carmichael's person, it was not, as in the case of a preternaturally expansive oak tree, the result of advanced age every year of which had added to its bulk. All the fat which had thus miraculously found a resting-place on the bones of Mrs. Carmichael had been considerably less than forty years in collecting itself together, and had her face been finished by one chin instead of three, and the rest of her features in less evident danger of being smothered, she would have been far from ill-looking. Excepting the pink gauze and the white robe already described, with the probable garment under it, together with her large slippers and probable stockings, she was as much without the foreign aid of ornament as Eve herself. Stays she had none. She wore nothing on her head, nor was there the slightest reason whatever to suppose that she was embarrassed by anything more in the way of clothing than what has already been described. Excepting the hard breathing and an occasional ejaculation expressive of fatigue from moving, Mrs. Carmichael uttered nothing for several minutes after she entered the apartment. 
having at length made her way to the part of the room where major allen barnaby stood fanning himself she dropped down upon a large cane chair without any arms every part of which back and all became so completely invisible that she seemed to have perched herself on a three-legged stool having thus deposited her person she fixed her soft eyes on the major's face and seemed to expect that he should speak first but her heavy breathings gave her so much the appearance of being as yet unfit for any exertion that her visitor was too polite to address her and it was therefore mrs carmichael herself who at last opened the conversation what is your pleasure sir she said in a voice which notwithstanding her want of breath was harmonious though somewhat drawling i have called madam he replied at the request of your friend captain timms to inquire whether you can accommodate our party with board and lodging mrs carmichael eyed the numerous group very complacently for the whole kit of you sir she demanded with a smile as sweet as it was possible a smile could be from lips so overwhelmed by cheeks yes madam for all of us and for a goodish spell sir very likely madam but that must depend on circumstances of course sir of course well then i don't know i rather expect i might make it convene provided any two of the ladies could lie together the two miss perkinses exclaimed at the same moment oh we can do that ma'am quite well well now i calculate it might be done then but in course you'll be wanting to see the rooms before you agree and that's what black jessie can do for you and so saying she clapped her great soft hands together and though the sound thus produced was rather a dumb one it sufficed to bring a smart-looking negress into the room who having received sufficient orders from her mistress stepped lightly and not ungracefully forward to do her bidding turning her face towards the strangers and displaying her white teeth as an invitation to them to follow her this the whole kit did though with some reluctance perhaps at being obliged to put themselves in motion again but the great large house was really as cool as it was possible a new orleans house in the month of july could be and they could hardly fail of being satisfied with the well-ventilated rooms clean mosquito bars and handsome wardrobes which were displayed to them this will do major capital won't it said mrs allen barnaby in high good humour yes my dear if you will undertake to pay for it he replied don't come with any of that sort of nonsense over me donny she replied forgetting herself for a moment i am not going to begin the old sydney way over again i promise you you'll remember my dear that i am a little more up to your doings than i was then and if i give you the assistance of my talents and keep you up with my respectability and fashion i shall expect to be comfortably lodged in return i promise you this was however all conjugally whispered in the ear of her husband as they stood apart together for a moment in a room that was decidedly the biggest and the best and which both of them had tacitly selected as their own we shall see my dear we shall see he replied without displaying any marks of anger at her remonstrance but you know as well as i do that everything must depend upon the chance of finding people that will suit us of course dear of course but take my word for it major that you will do nothing to signify either here or anywhere else if you don't carry it with a high hand at first and make them understand that you are a somebody you are not far from wrong there my dear and now let's go down again to our fatima by the way this new orleans beauty makes you look as slender as a girl my dear mrs allen barnaby some thought of the same kind had already passed through the analytical head of mrs allen barnaby herself 
and she felt so kindly disposed towards the person who could produce so agreeable an effect that the negotiation which followed their return to the keeping-room was speedily brought to a happy termination. Poor Miss Louisa Perkins started a little at hearing that she was to pay ten dollars a week for herself and her sister, but permitted herself to be satisfied upon Mrs. Carmichael's proposing to abate one, provided the ladies did not mind sleeping in rather a small room upstairs that looked towards the west. All preliminaries being thus happily settled, the party gladly accepted their obliging hostess's invitation to take possession of the keeping-room and its sofas, till such time as the arrival of their baggage should enable them to settle themselves in their own apartments and get ready for dinner, the hour for which, she informed them, was five o'clock. It was nearly two, and some natural anxiety began to be expressed by the ladies, lest those ever-precious objects of interest, their trunks, might not arrive in time. And now it was that, for the first time, Patty's dawn gave evidence that it was possible he might be of some little use, for upon Major Allen Barnaby's declaring that he neither could nor would go out again during the heat of the day, for all the trunks in the world, the young Spaniard declared that the sun was delightful to him, and having received the most distinct instructions from each particular lady, as to which particular box it was especially essential he should get released for her instantly, he set off upon his mission and performed it so well, that by four o'clock the whole party were made supremely happy by finding themselves in the full enjoyment of their unpacked treasures, and as well able to make themselves fine as if they had never left London. End of chapter 7